continue our study. This week is Advent number two, which is peace. And it's interesting when we look at those three gifts, how unique those three gifts are to give to a child. I don't know if you've been to a baby shower or to a baby's first birthday or maybe even all the way up to five years old. These are not the gifts typically people bring um, to those types of events. And so there's, there's a purpose. Last week, some of you laughed and reminded me during the week, uh, I had mentioned Rogaine as a gift or uh, heightening shoes as a gift because gifts communicate something. If you give me a gift, it's going to give me some insight into what you think about me or what you think I need or uh, what my issues are. And if I give you a gift, it's the same thing. It communicates. Do I know you very well? Um, do I take the time to find out what you really need? And uh, is this really going to be beneficial for you? And so as we look at these gifts, uh, each week we're going to dive a little bit at the front of the message into what do these three gifts really mean? What was the purpose of these Magi, which is a word that uh, they were leaders, they were, uh, we don't have a lot of information. Some people think they were connected to Daniel uh, from Babylon from years prior to that. But these are successful uh, kings that at some level of leadership because when they come into Jerusalem, they are welcomed and recognized very quickly. And so they bring these gifts with a purpose, on purpose, and we want to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us as we look at these things because they're so important. So what do the gifts communicate? Why frankincense? Now, I want to be multi, uh, use teachings in multi uh, ways, multiple ways, not just one. And so today, you're going to use your eyes to look at the screen and, and the visuals of this room. And thank you for those who helped set up the room. It's beautiful. Uh, you're going to hear through your ears. And also, if you came in, you can use your nose today because what you smell is, is frankincense. That if you wondered what it smelled like, Hopefully it's made its way through the whole, I didn't want to make it too strong, but it has uh, come into this room and you can smell what frankincense smells like. And this was what the priests would have used in the temple in their times of prayer. And so we're going to look at frankincense very quickly as we begin. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2 verses 10 through 11. This tells us of the story of the Magi. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so to have an understanding of frankincense, we have to turn back all the way to the Old Testament, uh, to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 24, and it's fairly lengthy, but it gives us some insight into what this is all about. And so if you want to turn back, it'll be on the screens as well. Leviticus 24, 1 through 9, the Lord spoke to Moses, commanding the Israelites to bring your pure oil from crushed olives for the light. Now just some commentary here. Throughout scripture, olives, olive oil, if you remember when Noah sent out the dove and it brought back an olive branch, it's a representation of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit uh, is involved in this act. It's a symbol. It's an insight into what's going on. What does this olive oil do? Well, you crush it for the light in order to keep the lamp burning regularly. 
And so for the Holy Spirit to be actively working in our church to allow us to have light, uh, we have to constantly go and, and serve and obey and follow him. Verse 3, Aaron is to tend and continually from evening until morning before the Lord's outside the curtain of the testimony in the tent of meeting. This is a permanent statute throughout all your generations. He must continually tend the lamps of pure gold, gold lampstands, for the Lord's presence. Interestingly enough, we're going to see that Aaron represents the priest of that time, the high priest. The high priest was to tend the lamps to make sure that the light was constantly shining. And so here you have this individual uh, ordained by God to continually going up and down, making sure that these lamps are uh, full of oil so that they may burn. This is a, uh, an eternal or a permanent statute. This is something that's going to continue on throughout all of time. Take the fine flour and bake it into 12 loaves. Each loaf is to be made with four quarts. Arrange them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. Now that gold table represents uh, the breaking of, of the sacrifice. And this is um, uh, the place that represents Christ's shed blood that he has broken for our sins at this place. This is the grace, the place of grace. Take the fine flour and bake 12 loaves, each loaf to be made with four quarts. Arrange them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. Place pure frankincense near each row, so that it may serve as a memorial portion for the bread and a food offering to the Lord. The bread is to be set out before the Lord every Sabbath day as a permanent covenant obligation on the part of the Israelites. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the holy place, for it is the holiest portion for him and for the food offering for the Lord. This is a permanent rule. Now, what I want you to look at here on the screen is we have two pictures. And here we see the high priest. Uh, we see the incense. This is the frankincense that is lifting to the Lord. It, has, it is smoke. It is an aroma. And then here is the table uh, where you have the 12 breads covered with golden coverings. And in these two uh, basins, there would be the frankincense, and you would have the bread. And the priest's job was to go in with the menorah, make sure that the lamps were lit, and then to uh, have this incense or frankincense being burned as an offering of prayer to the Lord. Now that can sound mysterious or it can sound confusing, but you recognize that the, the symbolism here is there is a high priest that goes in for the people and maintains a relationship to God through this purification and this perfection. And so with the Old Testament, it is a mystery concealed. That may not make total sense to most people. That's mysterious. But the New Testament, the, the, the symbolism is revealed. The mystery is revealed. As we turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, that mystery is revealed in verse 14. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way that we are is yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help those in time of need. 
Hebrews is revealing to us the answer to the mystery. The mystery is Christ is the great high priest. He is the one that goes in and makes sure in our lives are lit with the Holy Spirit. He is convicting of sin. He is the one that is helping us and guiding us. We see even more clarification if you turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there's even more clarification. It says, for there is one God... And one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, as a, as a testimony at the proper time. And so here we see this picture, and here's the picture, that the perfect, holy, just, righteous God has connected to earth through this relationship. And it is the relationship of the, the, the smell and the smoke uh, connects. It is a, a, God talks of it as a, a, a beautiful smell. Our prayers are as a beautiful fragrance to him. He loves the prayers of his people. But those prayers are through the mediator, Jesus. Jesus is the connecting point. Jesus allows us into the throne room. Jesus, remember that gold-plated, uh, the, the, uh, the, the place of perfection, the holy of holies, this table uh, where you would go and sprinkle the blood of the, of the sheep. This was the place of grace. And what we're being told is this, this frankincense represents the high priest's act of smoke lifting to the Lord. If we go back to that slide, that means the cross itself is where heaven and earth connect. The cross is where now our, our prayers can be healed, or can be received, our healings can be given. The cross of Christ, the great high priest, he has, he's been tempted all, in all ways that we have, and yet he didn't sin. He's the high priest. He's the one and only priest. All the other priests were reflections of him to come. He's the final. He's the final sacrifice. He's the final high priest. He is the priest that takes our petitions, takes our requests to the Father's throne. And now we're to go in boldness. Now we're to go. We're told that he prays, that Christ prays for us, and the Holy Spirit has utterances for us, that there is the connection point for us. And so when we think of frankincense, this sacrifice that was brought, this gift that was brought, it was the representation that Christ would be born and would become the great high priest. He would become the one that would connect us to God. He would bring peace between a sinful mankind and a holy and perfect God. And so today, as we look at the, the, second, the second emphasis of Advent, the second emphasis of peace, we recognize that this focus of peace can only be established by the great high priest. This peace can only be established by Christ's perfect act and perfect sacrifice on the cross. And we may have heard this and we may recognize this, but it should at our very core move us. It should impact us. It should be significant in our thoughts and our minds. It should move us to recognize the true wonder of the peace we've been given. And so as we look to God's word, the question I have for myself and for us as we study together is what does God want us to know about the gift of peace? What, you have a gift that he provided on the cross of peace with God. That gift is sufficient. That, that gift is significant. That gift is important. 
as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we're not celebrating that we get together and we have nice food. We celebrate that now we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing to celebrate. What a wondrous thing to truly put at the middle of Christmas. And so let's pray and precede God's word with prayer and ask him to speak to us individually. Father God, you are awesome. You are worthy. You are holy. You are just. You're far beyond any of our expectations or understandings. You are the one true God. You're the God who created. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You have revealed yourself through your words to us today. And so, Lord, as we read your word, help us to absorb it. Help us to receive it deep within our hearts and our minds that it would uh, then control and lead and guide and dictate to us how we're to live and who we're to be. Help us to be willing and open to your teaching, willing and open to your direction. Help us not to fight your will, but to receive it with wonder and awe and excitement, knowing that you have a wonderful future in store for your children Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are a holy and just God. Help us to realize what truly happened when you chose to come to earth and to be perfect and to die for the sins that you did not commit. We love you and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be first mostly looking at Luke chapter 2 today, Luke chapter 2, and I think it's important to recognize uh, that something very significant, and I know we all recognize it, but there's a significance to this moment when people begin to hear of the good news of the birth of Christ. And so we're going to read here in Luke chapter 2 verse 13, it says, suddenly, There was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. Now, I know we may have other translations. It's interesting. This is probably the best translation of uh, the Greek text and the Hebrew text because it doesn't say peace to all men. It says, peace to those he favors. And that's important because this peace that we're looking at here, this peace that is proclaimed by the heavenly hosts and by the angels, it says, glory to God, that there is peace now as a possibility, that the heavenly hosts declare this and they sing of this. And so what is that peace? What peace are they talking about? Is this a global peace Did this uh, begin an era of peace around the world that now all the nations began to get along and they dropped their swords and they, they dropped their spears and they began to become one unified nation across the world? No, obviously, there's been wars and rumors of wars. Jesus tells us that the sign of the end is that there are wars and rumors of wars. Earthly wars will not be extinguished or they will not come to an end until Christ has returned and fulfilled the prophecies of his second coming. And so it's not a global peace. And, you know, today it's obviously, you know, for people who think global peace is, is what they should dedicate their lives to, we can see why they would want that. We all want peace. We all want there to be peace in the world. We pray for the peace of Israel. But we recognize that peace will not exist until Christ returns. And so we don't have that outlook that our lives should be dedicated to producing the peace of the world because we recognize we're told there will be no full peace until Christ returns. So it's not a global peace. Is it just an inner peace? 
This is just an inner peace that we're to have. Now, I would say there's a peace that passes all understanding. There is a peace in time of trial. There's a peace in time of, of testing and a peace in time of adversity. But I was convicted of this as I was studying, that, this, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not some sort of sedative, that, that, oh, bad things are happening, I feel fine. Jesus didn't feel fine when he came into the temple. He was a little upset. He pushed over the tables and said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. Um, peace in your spirit, it, it doesn't mean that you're always going to feel melancholy about every single thing that ever happens. Sometimes you're going to get angry because we're told... Uh, Get angry and sin not. So anger isn't sin. Um, righteous anger is, is what we've seen demonstrated to us. So it's not that we're always at a place of absolute peace and tranquility as if we can sit down as, as maybe the Hindu would and, and come to a place of inner peace. That, that's not what he's talking about, some inner peace. Is it a limited peace? You know, Christmas, sometimes, you know, in relationships, and we can all relate to this, there are times when people say, okay, you know, we've been hostile towards each other all year. Let's be nice for Christmas, right? Let's just get along. Um, let's agree to disagree. Let's not bring up those topics at dinner. Let's just get along. How many of you know of these types of circumstances? Let's just have some peace. Now, is that permanent peace? No. No, that we, permanent peace um, that's not what, what he's talking about, that type of permanent peace in our life. So what kind of peace is he talking about? Uh, today, as I was studying, this was like those aha, amazing, praise you, God, you're awesome, you're wonderful, you're amazing. How did I not see this clearer before? How was I raised in the church and I never understood this? How has this always been right in front of my face and yet I didn't understand it? If there's peace, then there also must be war. You cannot have peace unless there's the possibility, or, or he's not bringing us to peace if we weren't at war. So who were we at war with, and why? Who are you at war with? Who am I at war with? Who were we at war with? You know, my daughter and I were talking. It's interesting. My kids are, are fascinated with the world wars, and we were talking about World War I and World War II, and why, why are these wars? Why is there war in Russia and Ukraine? Why is there war in Israel? What are these wars? What are your wars tend to be about? And as we talked about it, it kind of came to the surface. Really, war is about control and power. War is about control and power. So who have we had war with? Who has control of me and what power am I using? What power do I have? What power uh, am I able to use in life? What power are you able to use in life? And, and really, who has control of you? And so I recognize that the truth of the matter is we're, we at some point in our lives, all of us have been at war with God. Romans, Romans 5.1 says, therefore, that." Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may have not recognized, but there is a time, and if you haven't recognized it, you may still be at war with God. To have the good news of Christmas, we have to dive into the bad news of what reality is. 
To understand the good news of Christ being born and living and dying and raising from the dead, we have to understand the really bad news because there's some really, really bad news. The good present isn't as good if you don't know what the bad thing was that led to the good present. And so here... As we look at this, there is a God who is revealed through Scripture. There is a God that is revealed through Scripture. And what I've recognized is most people will say, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. But they don't believe in the God that is revealed through Scripture. Most people, especially in the United States, unfortunately, believe in a God that they have created. A God that lives into their standards and their worldview and their, their way of thinking. My God wouldn't do that. My God wouldn't be like this. The God that I believe in is this, this, and this. The God that I follow, I would never follow a God that did this, this, or this. And so many people have created a God made in their own image. A God that they have created for their own wants and desires. And so how do I know if I'm at war with God or not? So I came up with a few things that I thought can give us a good idea if you're at war or who's at war or when we are at war, what did it look like? What did it mean? Why were we at war? Well, first, grace. When someone is told that you come to Christ by repenting and believing, repenting of your sin, recognizing my sin has separated me from God and I am lost in it, and what I must do is acknowledge that I have 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 been in sin and rebellion, and then I need to confess and believe that Christ died on a cross and raised again and receive the gift of eternal life. Do you know what many people say? That's too easy. Grace is too easy. It can't be that easy. The horrible person that's done horrible things, you're telling me all they have to do is repent and believe, and then they're saved. For the person that is war with God, they will say, that's too easy. God, you cannot do that. That is too easy. The person that is at war with God, then on the other side, when they hear that it's appointed once for us to die and there's a judgment and everything that you've ever thought and done and every uh, time you resisted God and you sinned by omission, by not doing what you're supposed to do and commission, you did something you knew was wrong and you did it anyway, that every single one of those will be in display and will be made, put in the light and everything about us will be revealed and then you'll be judged on that and God will judge and there is a judgment and, and there's a judgment of heaven in hell. People will say, if you're at war with God, that's too hard. I'm too much. I've, how can God expect me? I, I'm just a person. I'm not perfect. How can God expect that if it's just unfair? It's too hard. It's too hard. Judgment is too much. And so on one end, it's too easy. On the other end, it's too hard. And when you're at war with God, this is where the battleground is, is set. People will say it's too exclusive. It's too exclusive. It's too closed-minded. You're saying Jesus is the only way to heaven? You're seeing Jesus, this one man who lived 2,000 years ago that lived in a place where they didn't have any technology? Uh, that, how about all the people that don't hear about him? All about those people. It's too unfair. They'll say it's too close-minded. Then you say, well, he says anyone who wants it can have it. Well, it's too inclusive. 
And that's offensive. What if people don't want it? You're saying if they don't want it, then they're, they're gonna be separated from God in hell? That's too offensive. I can't accept that. So it's too exclusive and it's too inclusive at the same time. His sovereignty that he controls is unfair. How come he gets to control it? I wanna control me. I don't wanna give over control. This is the only life I get. I wanna live it up. It's unfair. I don't like it. His timing. I don't know. I can't trust it. It's, I want my timing, not his timing. I don't like God's timing. I want it to happen when I want it to happen. His timing is too uncertain for me. I'm at war with God. I'm battling God. I don't trust your timing. His calling on your life. Well, what if he calls me to be a missionary somewhere? Or what if he calls me like he did the rich young ruler to sell all I have and give it to the poor? Or what if he has a calling on my life that I don't want to do? It's too costly. It's too costly. I can't, he's expecting way too much of me. He wants too much for me. I can't give him. That's the battlefield. Trust. How can I trust him with my kids? How can I trust him with my spouse? How can I trust him with my job? How can I trust him with my money? How can I trust him with any, my health? It's too risky. It's too risky to trust the unseen God. It's too risky to put my faith and trust in this. Morality. It's unfulfilling. I want to have fun. I want to enjoy life. I want to live it up. I want to experience everything this life has to offer. This morality that's revealed through, through God, God's morality is way too unfulfilling for me. I want to do these things, and he's saying that that's not what I'm supposed to do. His authority. I'm uncomfortable with a God who has ultimate authority. And then... Control. Because remember, all wars are basically about power and control. And the true battlefield is, if you summarize, no. You want control, you will not get it. You want to be the authority? No. You want me to follow your morality? No. You want me to trust you? No. You want me to listen to your calling? No. Do you want me to follow your timing? No. You want me to accept your sovereignty? No. You want me to be okay with everyone's welcome? No. You want me to say there's only one way through Christ? No. Your judgment, I am not receiving it. No, I don't believe in it. Your grace, too easy? No. Do you see how we're at battle with God? Do you see when he says peace on earth? He's talking about peace with him. That's what the angels came to declare to the shepherds. Peace is now available with God because all of you are at war, whether you know it or not. You're at war with God. You're battling God. You're fighting for the control of your soul and your mind. And you're saying, I know better. I have a better plan. I have a better land. I produced a better nation within me that I will follow and be subservient to. And I will battle the kingdom of God because his kingdom calls me to submit to him as Lord. This is where Christmas gets pretty heavy, huh? These are not, I mean, I would love to do really feel-good messages right now. 
But the truth is, you don't know how good the present is if you don't know how bad it was before. The present means nothing if you don't know how valuable it is. That's why people can dismiss the cross and they can dismiss Jesus because they don't know what's really happening and they don't know the true cost and they don't know what's at stake and they don't even recognize the war that they're in. And the war is significant. And when I look at people I love that are in the midst of still fighting God, it is a burden to the soul. It is not something to overlook and say, well, I hope it works out, or uh, it's no big deal. Uh, everyone has their own way of thinking and own way of doing anything, so we're just going to let it go. No, the burden becomes one of weeping and prayer and fasting, and I will do whatever I can do so that they would recognize what is really going on. If you turn over to Colossians chapter 1, we get the fullness of what is happening here. The angels have come and they've declared, now there is peace on earth for those that the Lord favors. And here's what it says in Colossians 1.21. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. To, the pre to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Why did God become man? Why did he take the form of us? So that he could be a vessel to carry our sin, to reconcile the physicality of our existence. He became physical to deal with the war that was both physical and spiritual. And what did he do? What did he win in his battle? What, what does the victory bring to? What does his death produce? Look what it says. To present you holy, faultless, and blameless. Can you be more holy than what Jesus makes you through the cross? Can you be more faultless than what Jesus makes you through the cross? Can you be more blameless than what Jesus makes you through the cross? He has completed. He has paid the full price. This present is the most expensive present that ever is, was, or ever will be. Jesus, God made flesh, living as one of us, dying on a cross as we should have, and then raising again so that I can be seen. When the father looks at me, he sees the holiness of his son. He sees the faultlessness of his son. He sees the blamelessness of his son. That is a gift worth celebrating. That is a gift worth putting a tree in your house, putting a star on the top, giving everyone you know a present, and saying, hallelujah, Merry Christmas, because we have the greatest present that ever can be. And it's not because we get to sing fun songs or we get to see people we haven't seen in a while. That does not compare to the present that we're given, to the truth that is revealed to us. You see, because of the cross, we now can have peace with God. My strength, Paul says, the peace brings me to the strength of Christ. 
So if I'm at peace, I know what it is to be at war with God. What is it to be at peace with God? And today, I would say more than anything else, being at peace with God reveals if you have the gift of salvation. It reveals if you've actually received this gift that he paid for, for you and me to have. Peace with God, grace, it's amazing. Is it not? I don't deserve it. It is not easy to humble yourself and say, I am a lost sinner in need of a savior. It has nothing to do whether it's easy or hard. It has to do if it's true. And the ease in which I see is because I have a limited vision of what it cost. It is amazing grace. When it comes to judgment, I am humbled at the fact that I don't, I'm not going to get what I deserve. I will get mercy and grace, not just conviction that I deserve. I'm not getting justice when I die. I'm getting grace and mercy. Because when Christ has paid for me and given me the gift, and when I go before the judge, he will see the holiness of Christ. He will see the goodness of Christ. Therefore, I have been shown mercy and grace. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you will be in light of that truth as well. What an amazing truth. So judgment doesn't become too harsh. It doesn't become um, terrible. It actually becomes humbling and something to praise God and to worship God more about. That he would deal with sin. He wouldn't turn a blind eye to sin. That he would not say sin is okay, but he would just sin. But he would also leave an opportunity for mercy and grace for every man, woman, and child. Judgment becomes humbling. It becomes worth praising God about. Exclusiveness, you become grateful. You become grateful that there is a way. There is a, a truth. There is a life. Inclusive, you're, you're happy now that you become optimistic that everyone can have this. Everyone you ever meet can have this gift. Everyone in this room can, can own this gift as theirs. Every person you will see today can own this gift as theirs. Every person you'll ever meet in your entire life can own this gift as theirs. It's optimistic in every sense of the word optimism because the, the grandchild, the nephew, the niece who's far from the Lord, you still believe the Lord can reach them with his gift. You don't give up, you don't quit, you believe there's hope because he is so willing to welcome any who call upon his name. His sovereignty, you're thankful that you're not in charge, but he is. You're thankful that he's guiding your path, not your own understanding. You begin to see that when you're in charge, things don't go that well. When he is, you have peace, you have joy, you have the ability to control yourself. When it comes to timing, you start to anticipate that he has something special. The longer it tastes, yes, it's stressful, but there's a blessing on its way. And I know something good is about to happen because God's timing is always perfect. You start to anticipate things. You start to say, well, if he hasn't done it yet, then he must really have something special. If he's waiting this long, then God has a real plan for this. His calling 
His calling, every Sunday I say, what is God saying to you? His calling becomes what you're most in tune to. You're not most in tune to the stock market. You're not most in tune to what happened to Georgia, Alabama last night. You're not most in tune to something else. Your antenna, your radar is what is God telling me? Where is he leading me? Where is he guiding me? What is he saying today? What is he revealing to me? And he begins, the more you do that, the more you hear, the more you know, the more you are sad satisfied with the truth that he is leading you and guiding you because his calling becomes directional it becomes a point of interest because you want to know what his desire is for you trust it's freeing when you have to trust that you have to make your life good when you have to trust that you have to be successful um, it's like Christmas comes and you have a party at your house and you have to make sure everyone has fun. You're trusting you when you can give that trust over to the Lord. All the trust moves from your, you to him and you say, God, what do you want me to do? How should I do this? Help me to follow you. And then all of your trust and faith is on him. It's so freeing. It takes all of that anxiety and stress that we build up because we feel that we have to accomplish these things. Morality. You don't look at morality and say it's limiting. You look at it and say it's clarifying. Now I know I am supposed to live. The God who created everything with order has taught me what the order of man should be. I don't deny it or say it somehow limits who I really am. I say it actually amplifies who I am because now I really know who I am. My identity is clear. I don't wonder about it. It's not fluid. It doesn't change every day. It is the same because it's clear. It's a rock in which you build your life for all of your life. Morality becomes a special gift that you're thankful God revealed. Because through it, you find the truth of life and you find the joys of life. Authority. You, it's, you begin to recognize that in life, we all have places where we have a parent, we have an authority. Why are they there? To guide us, to protect us, to show us direction, to show us love, to show us as an example. You don't despise the authority, you praise the fact that there's an authority that loves you. This is not a dictator who is trying to manipulate you. This is a loving father who already has everything and doesn't need anything, but is willing to guide you and to show you the way. And so when it comes to controlling your life, when it comes to controlling your life, when it comes to God's authority, you say yes. When it comes to his morality, you say yes. When it comes to him trusting him, you say yes. When it comes to the callings he places in your life, you say yes. When it comes to trusting his timing, you say yes. When it comes to his sovereignty, you're thankful. When it comes to the fact that he is open to everyone, you're excited to invite them all. When it comes to he is the only way, you're thankful that he made a clear way. When it comes to judgment, you're ready and prepared and you're humbled and by grace you are amazed. That's why we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Who saved someone awesome like me? A wretch. Why was I a wretch? Why were you a wretch? Because we were at war with God. We were fighting him since we were infants. No, God, you can't have control. No, God, you can't tell me what to do. No, God, I won't submit to your ways. No, God, I will not follow you. We were at war. But through Christ on the cross, we can be at peace. And so when we light that candle, it means something pretty special. When we think about Christmas and the birth of Christ, it means something pretty special.
It's not just about I feel, I have a feel-good feeling and, and I have a, a happy thought or I get to do a fun activity. It's so much more than that. I was at war with God and now I'm at peace. And it is only because Christ was born to die, to resurrect, to give peace. This morning, I think the very first thing is to ask yourself, am I at war with God right now? Are you at war? And this was something that was one of those jump off the page because all those things you would probably agree with or, or you've heard or understood before, but have you ever really thought about in your heart and your soul, are you more at war with God or with peace? Are you fighting his timing? Are you fighting trusting in him? Are you always fighting these things that we've talked about here today? Are you more at war with God or are you at peace with God? Because he came to bring peace. He came to bring peace. The next question I think is important too. Can you look back and see that I was at war with God? Yes, I can remember when I was at war with God. And then I remember when, it, when peace started. I remember when peace started. You know, when the Revolutionary War was over, they knew it was over. When the Civil War was over, they knew it was over. You know, it may have taken time for everything to kind of reorganize itself, but you knew it was over. When uh, World War I and II were over, yes, there was a lot of damage, but you knew it was over. Do you know that that war with God is over in your soul? Do you know that it's over? So many people I meet in church say I was always at peace with God, and I say that is impossible. You were not born at peace with God. You were not a child raised always at peace with God. There is only one. That was Christ. It's why he could pay for your sin. You were at war. It says if, if you say that you have no sin and you were never at war, you're calling God a liar in his word. See, we make a God that is comfortable for us in our own minds, but it's not the God that reveals himself through scripture. And we have to decide, what are we putting our faith and trust in? Was I ever at war with God? Did I ever truly come to peace with God? Am I at peace with him today? How do you know you're at peace with God? How do you really, these are so vital. I mean, if we're gonna go out in the world and share the good news of the gospel, these are the things that we need to consider. These are the questions that we need to ponder. These are the things that we're pulling people to think about that don't know the Lord. Because most people don't think they're at war with God because they don't know who the one true God is. One way to know if you found peace, how does your peace with God impact your thoughts and actions? How is that peace that these angels declared that we can now have with God impacted your thoughts, impacted your actions? How has peace transformed your life that Christ came to pay for? And then finally, who do you know that needs peace with God today? Who is at war with God? 
They know they're at war or they don't know they're at war. But they are at war. And they need peace. Just like the soldiers that were willing to give their lives for freedom. We have a spiritual war going on all around us every day. Are we willing to give that kind of commitment to involve ourselves in this battle? How can I apply this to my life? First, thank God for the gift of peace. And don't thank him in a like, I mean, this is easy. I do it all the time. Thank you, God, for the peace. That's, that's wonderful. That means I really don't understand it. This is a peace. If I can watch a football game for three hours, I can settle my heart on peace for a little while and really think about what it means. Them winning a game on a screen means nothing in eternal, in the eternal thing or whatever it is. But the peace that I have with God means everything. The peace I have with God changes everything. How thankful am I really? I think the one thing that keeps us from truly recognizing this peace, truly getting uh, this as part of our life is unconfessed sin. So confess it. Confess whatever he brings to the surface. He'll bring it. Father, show me what do I need to deal with. He'll show us. Confess it. Confess that he wasn't king. He wasn't in charge. He wasn't the authority. And you denied him. And now you want to go back to the cross and you're laying it at the cross and now there's victory. And now you, you're as holy and as, as perfected as you will ever be. You'll never be any less because of the cross. Ask the Holy Spirit for understanding. I know we all have battles in our lives that seem to not want to go away. They just keep coming back and keep coming back. Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom in that. Out loud. If you really mean business with God, you have to show him you mean business. You know what? As a coach, if a kid doesn't speak loudly, I wait till they speak loudly. Because <laughs> I want them to understand this is important. And the same is true with the Lord. And then finally, share the gift of peace that you have with God. If you want to give someone a great gift, give them the gospel. Live the gospel, share the gospel, meditate on the gospel. I, I heard this week and I thought it was really interesting. Angels are a lot smarter than us probably. They're much deeper thinkers even than us probably. And yet they never get bored of the gospel. They never say, well, I've heard enough of that Jesus dying on the cross stuff. It's never, for beings that are beyond us, to them it is a wonder to watch and see what God is doing with us. Shouldn't it be a wonder for us? Shouldn't it be something that we're fascinated by and we invest ourselves in? I've learned about myself, if I focus on my life, I will complain a lot. I'll be unhappy. I'll be unsatisfied. I'll find everything that is wrong with everybody, including myself, and live in the humdrum days of life. And I won't find laughter. I will not find joy. I will not find peace when all I look at is me. But when I start to look at the Lord and I start to think about what he's doing, all of a sudden that is lifted. And I think all of us need that. We need 
to have some peace in our heart. We need to have some joy in our spirit. We need to have some awe and wonder again. We need to have some expectation of a good God doing good things and we get to be a part of it. That's my prayer. If you want a great gift for Christmas, that's the gift to ask the Lord to give. So what is he saying to you today? 